So the Great Divide route turns 20 this year. And since its existence, it's inspired countless numbers of people to race it, to tour it, and to even start businesses along the route. In this episode of POP Talks, I'm going to interview Cricket Butler, who has done all three. She first encountered the route when she turned 40, convinced a friend to tour it with her, and ultimately raced it and now owns the Whitefish Bike Retreat. We're gonna talk about that transition, uh, a close bear encounter she had on her first time racing the route, and also what it's been like to operate the Whitefish Bike Retreat, hosting cyclists from all over the world. She's an awesome person, one of our favorite people in the bike industry, and you guys will really enjoy this episode. And before we jump in, this episode is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. So if you're digging these episodes, be sure to check out the description or the show notes and consider supporting this show. For as little as 3 or $5 a month, you can keep this podcast and video podcast on YouTube going. So with all that said, put on your earbuds or put it full screen on YouTube and pretend like you're working at your desk. It's okay, we won't tell, and enjoy the show. So you're pretty unique in that you've, you've toured the Great Divide route, you've also raced it, and now you operate uh, the Whitefish Bike Retreat. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit about your first experience with the uh, Divide route? Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, it's like a long time ago. I love to talk about it. It's my favorite subject. Um, yeah, I did it. I turned 40. And before that, I was like a big through hiker. So like the CDT, the PCT, AT, that kind of stuff. Um, not CDT, actually. Not yet. Um, but, um, I just wanted to do something a little different than a long hike. And, um, I had just gotten into mountain biking and I had heard about this long route and I was like, I love going from point A to point B. And I was like, I want to do that. So I turned 40 and some, my best friend at the time asked me what I wanted to do for my birthday. And I was want to ride my bike from Canada to Mexico. And she went with me and she had never been on a mountain bike. I had no idea what I was doing. And, um, we just did it. And after that, while we were on that route, you know, I found out people were asking us like, oh, are you girls racing? And we're like, what are you talking about? You know, and we're just out having fun. And so I found out about the race that way. And then the next year, um, I kept thinking, I was like, oh, I can do this faster. So I did it last year in 2009 as a race. And then it just became an addiction, unfortunately. (laughs) A good one. Yeah. Do you enjoy touring the route or racing the route more? Now I'm going to tell you I enjoy touring the route. And um, I help a lot of people every year tour the route. Um, when I was in the racing mode, it was definitely, you're in that mode. I don't even know how I did it, um, to be honest with you. Because now I tour it and I just love taking my time and, you know, enjoying where I am. Cool. But the racing was like, it was in you. It was this driving force to go faster and longer and, yeah. So Very how different. So how does one become someone that races and, and, and tours a divide route to owning um, a lodging property on it? It's even a better question. <laughs> <laughs> just full of them. Um, you know, it wasn't planned. Um, you know, I was kind of finished with racing, and um, I moved out here for personal reasons. I love whitefish. Um, you know, I race through here. I've ridden my bike through here many times. And um, when I moved here, I needed a job. And when you want to live in Whitefish, you have to make a job. For your, otherwise, you won't be here very long. So I wanted to do a little hostel, but I found this piece of property. You've been here. Um, and I just fell in love with it, and I couldn't get it out of my head. 
and it needed a lot of work and I didn't know what I was going to do with it. There was no big vision. Um, but I bought it, I figured out how to buy it. And then just every day it developed into what it is now. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Cool. So for people that have not been or are listening to the podcast, can you kind of describe the facilities that you have on site? Yeah. Um, we have a lodge. It was an old barn that we renovated. Um, there's six rooms in there, so we can put like 17 people in there. And it's kind of hostel style, so um, it's very comfortable, um, very clean. It's got like hostel style bathrooms, you know, like you don't have your own private bathrooms in each of your rooms. So that's why I call it like a hostel. But it's a pretty posh hostel if you've ever been here. And I kind of wanted it that way. I wanted people who are riding their bikes to be surprised, you know, or if they're venturing somewhere to come in here and be like, oh, it's a hostel. But it's not. It's a lot more. And um so it's know. the nicest hostel I've I've ever stayed in. <laughs> you should not call this a hostel. And I'm like, well, the bathrooms aren't in your room, you know. Um, and then we have a campground too. So we have eight sites down there on the campsite, um, campground. And we have a bathhouse, so you have hot showers. Um, the campground is probably, the lodge is awesome. I love the campground too, though. And it's all trail side. So we are sitting, I have 28th, we have our own trails on our property, like a little pump track, a skills area camp store we rent mountain bikes and paddle boards we rent bike packing gear we help people with um getting on the divide we do shuttles everything like if you want to ride the divide just call us we'll help you with logistics and everything but we're also sitting on over um gosh now it's probably like 60 miles a single track um the whitefish trail that spans right now outside of whitefish eventually we'll circle all around um, the lake and connect all these single track outliers. So, you know, we get a lot of the divide riders, we get a lot of touring cyclists cause we're also on the Northern tier, but we also get a lot of, um, just touring like a destination almost like people come here to ride what we have here in whitefish, which is a huge diversity of trails. Mm -hmm. So like, what was, how did you, how did people hear about, uh, the bike retreat in the early days? Like, did you do much advertising or how did, how did you slowly grow, you know, that end of the business? Oh my gosh. Okay. So, <laughs> um, I got a website up, right. And then, um, I joined ACA as a corporate member. Um, and ACA I knew, right. Because I did their roots. I've written their roots. So I was like, okay, I want ACA to, you know, to know about us and put us on a map maybe, you know, I don't know. Um, and I contacted, I can't remember who, who it was at the time. ACA and I talked to them and told them what we were about and um I remember Arlen Hall and uh there was one other guy that came up um and checked us out and then they booked some tours um and now we have several of their tours here and their dirt touring classes out of here um and I did like a bulk mailing that year and did a little bit of print ad but um you know most of it was internet like people googling you and finding out what you are and people didn't know what we are were so that first year, I pretty much did everything myself. I cleaned the rooms. I ran the shuttles. I took reservations. I did everything myself. Um, it was enough to keep me going and keep me motivated. And the next year, it like doubled. And it just keeps getting busier and busier. So do you get mostly new guests or return guests? I get both. I get a ton of return guests. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, there's this one guy. I just um, booked him on a trip shuttles and lodging and all that stuff for next year and um or this summer and he this is his fifth time coming back and he's from hawaii <laughs> so <laughs> that's, 
And my first guest ever, um, he's been back four times and he's from uh, the Netherlands. Wow, so. that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel like I've, I've known about your business um, for a number of years and we got to stay there for the first time. I think it was last year, but it seems like this year um, you guys are kind of more visible on the Instagrams. Like I know that you're doing an event with Jay, the WTF Bike Explorer Summit is happening there. So is your general kind of brand awareness uh, just increased a lot this year? I think so. Like in the last few years, you know, um, I think it's increased quite a bit. And really word of mouth is huge. You know, like our guests come and they tell their friends. Um, and then, you know, the people, you know, like you coming here and, you know, Jay and all these other people, um, uh, these events are coming now. And um, and I, I'm excited to see them. Like I support them all. You know, I love kids camp, camp and clinics, you know, the bike packing clinics we do. Um, it just brings people in. Cool. Yeah, one of the things that uh, Laura and I really appreciated when we stayed there was all the, like the the really nice touches that you had that you could tell that the place was run by a cyclist. Like you have a full on like bike repair garage. Um, we dug like the little like, electrolyte tablets on on the pillows. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the cyclist. Like, I mean, I'm a cyclist at heart, right? So. I built this place the way I would want it. Um, I've traveled a lot on my bike. I've traveled a lot with my bike, my backpack. Um, I've traveled all over the world. And, you know, all these people that helped me along the way when I needed it, I just wanted to give that back. And I just felt like this was the time. You know, I wasn't racing anymore. That wasn't my focus. Um, I don't know. I just like helping people. So if you come here, you get spoiled. <laughs> So it, it looks like that you um, you're doing more winter uh, events and fat biking now during the in the snow. Is that just within this year or the last couple of years? I bought a fat bike like seven years ago, and I started fat biking. And um, so around here, what I've been fat biking for all these years were like you know car ruts, snowmobile trails, cross country ski areas where they would allow me. Um, and there's a whole bunch of people now fat biking around here. There's a pretty good community of fat bikers. And so what I wanted to do was just kind of create a place for us to go where there was not any kind of skier interference. You know, there was no conflict between user groups. And so I bought a groomer from Wildcat Groomers, which, by the way, are the best. Um, Kent Adams is awesome. He'll help you with anything. Um, and a snowmobile. And I had no idea what I was doing. I've never ridden a snowmobile like by myself before. So I get it off the trailer I get it stuck in my front yard in five minutes. <laughs> I'm like, what have I done? You know? Um, but the kids come, my kids are teenagers. They come out and dig me out. I learned how to ride that snowmobile and groom that year with a lot of help from the kids in the neighborhood and some friends. And, um, what I did last year was really, I, I couldn't promote it until I knew what I had. And so last year was just me learning what I needed to do to make that happen. And this year, I've got a small network of um, trails on my property that I maintain. And then we pop off. I'm not charging to use these trails. Um, we pop off on the state land, and I just ride my snowmobile up there. And I just happen to take my roller with me and um, set some tracks. And we've got about 10 to 12 miles of track right now um, that I maintain, and it's solid. Yeah, that, that seems kind of tricky because it's not. It's a trail that trail surface that seems to be constantly changing. Like, you know, the topography and just the consistency. Um, how do you how do you know when to go out and regroom? It's all from experience from the last two years. And um, 
I still struggle with it. You know, like um, Kent was actually here with his wife um, uh, just a few days ago, and um, we're experimenting with like the amount of snow we have and that we deal with. You know, we're very different from Wisconsin and Michigan and uh, Minnesota. Um, their conditions are very different from the kind of snow we get. And so, you know, I've been having some issues with packing it in and trying to remove the snow, you know, get it out of the way. And um, so he was here and of course it didn't snow while he was here. So he didn't see what I have to deal with, but um, it's just experience. And um, you know, when you have those snowmobile tracks or those car ruts that you were fat biking in, you know, every day they're different. They're getting messed up. People are back there. What we have now is a consistent track that I try to run over, 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 over again and again and pack it in. Um, and I try to maintain that. And occasionally you get the car and the snowmobile that tear it up because I'm not charging for any of this. It's, it's on state land, but, um, you know, it's fine. It's like, it's still, it's still there. If you want to come, come do it. This is our first year where we've lived in some place with winter and kind of navigating like fat biking in the snow is completely different. Um, you know, a lot of it's like, a, like you said, user conflict. Like we'd never lived in a place with snow, so we we didn't know necessarily it was bad form to to ride in cross country uh, ski tracks. <laughs> yeah, I posted I, I posted a video and someone uh, read me the riot act about how yeah I shouldn't do that. But but to be fair, like at that time it was early in the season and there wasn't the posted sign that said not to do that. Like when I went out, but but I've learned. <laughs> Well, you know, and it's just education too. It's like if we had a place where that was just devoted to fat biking, um, you can educate people on the etiquette of, of using the trails. You know, a lot of places people don't know, you know, they grab the bikes and they go find a place where they can ride. And it's like, it might not be cool, might be, but it might not be cool. So education and just, you know, teaching people where to go and how to ride and air pressure, all that is just, it's key. So you don't rip the trails up. Mm hmm yeah. Yeah. One, one thing I've realized too is uh, with fat biking, I mean, it looks like you can just ride on everything, but you can't like, there's definitely like some surfaces that are, are better. And depending on, you know, if it's rain or if it's frozen, it just, it's super bumpy <laughs> or it's super slushy, you know, so the, the, that terrain is kind of always changing. So uh, I can't wait to actually ride like an experience with a, a groomed fat bike trail feels like. <laughs> Come see me, Russ. Yeah, but no, that that consistency is what what I was searching for because I struggled with that too. It's like you go out for a ride and it could be really good one day, or it could be really crappy one day, or someone could have just torn up the track that you rode the day before. Um, and so for me, I was like, well, no, I want something a little more fun. So it was kind of a selfish motivating thing initially. I was like, I want to go ride my bike, um, but that groomer is amazing. Like what it what it has opened up, the terrain it's opened up, how much further I can get back now. It's amazing. How about the uh, number of uh, divide riders? Has have you what's have you seen them increase over the years, or are they plateauing, or what's that look like? No, I, I and I don't get them. I mean, I don't get all of them here. I think most of them, you know, come to town. But um, I get a lot of them, um, and I have friends in Banff, and they're definitely increasing every year. The amount of people you see, yeah, and most of you know you don't do the whole thing. They're going out to do sections, you know. So I get a lot of guests that come back multiple years because they're doing sections. You know, they might do Banff to the border, the border to, you know, Sealy Lake and then Sealy Lake down to Butte or something until they get out of my, um, my shuttle range. But yeah, I mean, sections are huge. Do you have any sense of like, what's, what's caused the increase in, um, bike packing? That's a good question. I think, you know, when I was raised 24 hour racing was huge and 
Um, stage racing was in huge. It seems to be like this whole self-supported, um, you know, racing or touring thing is just taken off. Um, you know, I remember like when I first, that first year when I bike packed the uh, Great Divide route, there were no bike packing bags. Like I actually, it's funny because I, I look at the, the bags now and I'm like, I actually kind of fabricated something that looked like that because I was a through hiker. You know, I don't need to carry a lot of stuff. I carry very minimal. Mm-hmm just what I need. Like if I don't use it every day, there's not a place for it on my bike. And, um, when I got off of that and race, I found, you know, carousel designs and he was making the bags. And I think Eric up in Alaska was teetering with them. You know, Mm -hmm. it was a long time ago. I've just dated myself, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, that whole realm of bags and that style of traveling just opened up a new, I don't know. It's just something new and exciting for people to try. I think. So one thing that I found really cool about um, the the bike retreat is that you have a little store. Uh, so if people aren't fully equipped when they get there, you can you know sell them bags or or, or rent them bags. Um, for most of the people that's that come visit, is is that their first experience with that kind of style of bags? Um, I think so. I have I have different types of people that visit. I have people that are already packed and ready to go. They have all their gear. You just you know shuttle them wherever they need to go. Um, and then I have people who are trying it for the first time and they bring all their gear and they don't know what they're doing. But the reason why we rent the bags is like before you spend all that money on those bags, you know, they're not cheap. Um, you got to make sure it fits your bike and you got to make sure it fits your traveling, um, style, you know, like you got to make sure you put all your stuff in there. If you're a person that likes to take a little bit more than the normal person, probably not going to work. Um, but it's amazing to see, like I, I pack people all the time I help pack their gear and um the first thing we'll do is we'll lay it all out and we'll go through it and we'll go through every item like why do you need this you know could this thing over here be used for the same purpose as this thing and let's get rid of that thing you know um and it's it's really a thought process on um you know what you really need while you're out there like you'll be amazed at what you don't need a lot of people um I had this one customer or guest stay with me and he, and the quote stays with me. He says that people carry their fears with them and they do, they carry everything, like anything that could go wrong. They're taking like three extra things to go with them and you don't need that. Like you just have to be prepared on, you know, how to fix it. If, if something does happen, you know, so I love helping people pack and, you know, figure out like what they need and what they don't need. So it sounds like you, you get a lot of experience, uh, bike packers and a lot of newbies. Like what's the, what are kind of those initial barriers and challenges for, for the newcomers? Um, I think their fear of the unknown. So, of course, the packing. You know, they, they don't know what they need, so they bring everything. Um, the fear of the roots, that they're, they're about to go out on their own, and bears are huge. Like, people are scared to death of bears around here. But, you know, we help people try to figure out, you know, to become more comfortable with it. Um. But I think just the fear of the unknown. But, you know, anyone who has that fear of the unknown and then they're tackling something that they're they're not really necessarily familiar with, I think is just you're going to succeed. Like they've already got it in them. Mm-hmm. So, Well, let's talk a little, little bit about bears. Because <laughs> I mean, we, yeah, we just moved to, to Montana and that's something we're still getting uh, used to. But you have like bear bears, like grizzly bears. <laughs> How do you, how does one kind of mentally overcome, you know, kind of that constant gnawing fear in the back of their head? 
I don't think you do. I mean, I still have it. Like, you want that healthy respect for bears, always. <laughs> like, I will never tell someone I'm not scared of bears. I'm scared of them. But I also am familiar with them, and I'm comfortable in living in the environment with them. And the biggest part of that is just be aware of them and know how to deal with them when you do see them, mm-hmm. you know, and, and be prepared. You know, like I don't go out and I travel a lot by myself, but I make a lot of noise if I'm in a really big bear territory area, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So I try to prevent the occurrence of running into a bear because I don't want to run into the bear. So have you ever had like a, like an, a, an aggressive bear encounter? I did my um, <laughs> my first year on the divide race um, right outside of Basin, Montana. I got charged by a bear. Oh wow! Did you yeah. have to use the bear spray? I didn't have any. <laughs> Let, let's learn. <laughs> <laughs> you just gave them the, the mean stare down, and they stopped in their tracks. <laughs> Dude, I threw that bike between me and it, and just started talking to it. Like, yeah, and you do. You see your life right in front of your face. Like it all goes. So, so what happened? So a charge that stopped and then did it just back off or what happened? Yeah, it was night. I was coming into basin. I was trying to get to Butte that night and, um, it was starting to rain and it was dusk, you know, it was late, you know, the daylight is long during the summer and I came around a corner and there was like a, a cliff on one side and then there was a cliff and a raging river on the other side. And so I came around the corner. He didn't see me or hear me. There was no way. And, um, I even had a bear bell on the bike, but like I said, that river was really loud. Um, so I came around the corner and slammed on the brakes and it saw me and it came right at me. And it stopped like, I don't know, 25 feet from me and, you know, got up on its hind legs or whatever and sniffed me out. And yeah, I saw my entire face or my entire family go right, um, my entire life go right in front of my eyes. But um, he dropped back down and then he or she, I don't know, kept sniffing at me. And then they finally turned around and kept going down the road. But I had to go down that road too. Like that was my food and <laughs> everything was down that road, but it got really dark. And so all I had was my little flashlight and, um, I waited until I couldn't see it anymore around the corner. And then I pushed my bike up and then I turned the flashlight on and I could see its eyes. And I was like, Oh man. And then I wait for it to disappear again. And so we played this game, um, for about an hour in the rain. And then, um, I went around a corner and there were no eyes peering back at me anymore. And that was actually the most scary part of the whole thing because I didn't know where it was. And I just got on my bike and I flew. I mean, I was probably the quickest I've ever ridden my bike. (laughs) And I ended up at that little bar. If anyone's ever ridden um, the Divide, they know that bar in Basin. And, yep, I ended up at the bar. (laughs) Soaking wet spandex girl who just got charged by a bear. It was not. (laughs) It was not pretty. (laughs) So do you think it was just checking you out or was it stalking you or any idea? No. I totally surprised it. It was not stalking me. It was not aggressive. It it was surprised and it did exactly what it should do, you know? And yeah, it was not aggressive. Yeah. So how, yeah, how I mean, did you, how did you manage to mentally rally after that and keep going? Is it the, the beers at the bar? <laughs> I had to get down there. I mean, like literally I had no food left. You know, when you're racing, you're very minimal, you know, how much food you need to get to the next point. Right. And I needed, I wanted to be in Butte that night. And there's nothing in Basin, so, you know, I really wanted something to eat. And I, I got down to Basin, like, at 2 in the morning, or I guess 1. There was still nothing to eat. I had a beer and popcorn at the bar. But, um, <laughs> yeah, again, in that situation, it wasn't – it was me invading the bear's territory, 
the bear had nothing. The bear was doing what it normally does. Yeah. You know, it was just the, it was like the perfect storm of situations, you know, with the noise, the light, the environment. He couldn't, he had nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He could have eaten me alive, but it decided not to. So I'm going to say it's not an aggressive bear. <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, we saw a bear for the first time uh, at relatively close distance. I mean, it was, a, it was a black bear, so it wasn't like a grizzly. But we were just, you know, the trail not even a mile from here. And uh, there's this field that usually has cows. And I was like, that's not a cow. <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of saw us stood up and then like galloped off. But um, yeah, it's, it's quite... You know, it's, it's even though they're they're black bears, it's still something that t- that takes getting used to. You know, because we'll pedal and we'll see the scat and everything, and you know. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather have those kind of issues than snakes and scorpions and I don't know. I mean, we have our dangers up here are things that can eat you, but <laughs> again, if you're smart about it, it's like you don't have anything to worry. Just be smart about it and be prepared. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you how do you manage food in bear territory in terms of like? You know, how do you separate it from your clothing and other stuff um, so it doesn't impart smell, especially with like bike packing bags where you're kind of cramming everything in? Yeah, that's a good question. I, that's a really, that's, everyone asks that question and, and I always educate people on it. Um, there's several theories out there for sure and it depends on where you are and how you manage your food. But around here normally is definitely separate your food from your tenting and your clothing. And I never cook um or eat where i'm gonna sleep so i always stop early you know have a little meal or snack or whatever on the side of the trail and then i love riding into the night and so i ride into the night and find a place to camp or sleep that's okay. the big thing and then i don't store the food near me ever so you do like the bear hang for all your cooking utensils and no um because around here our trees the, the branches are very weak they're not like the big you know northeast trees you know um it's hard to find a tree sometimes to hang something from. So what I've developed over time, and some people might disagree with it, is I just put the food on the bike. I always make sure it's airtight, like Ziploc it or double Ziploc it. And then um, it's always in a stuff sack that's sealable. And then um, I put it on the bike and I put the bike away from me. So I never sleep anywhere near the food. And then I usually put like some stones on it or something like that. So some rodent doesn't steal it, but yeah. So of all the, which bike packing bag does the, the food live in? Which what? Which uh, bike packing bag do you put the food? Is it in the frame bag or the seat bag? Um, it's in the frame bag or my little um, top tube snack thing. Um, and then sometimes I carry the lunchbox. I use the Ovea Negra bags a lot. Um, we sell them here. I like them a lot. Um, and they just, they fit almost every bike perfectly without being a custom bag made. So you don't have to have that additional charge, but that lunchbox bag that fits over your handlebar bag is really good for food. The top two bag, I usually have food in there and then I have food in the frame bag and then yeah, stuffed all over my pockets. I don't carry a backpack. I never have, never will. So I'll stuff food wherever you can, you know? (laughs) So when you, when you first got the property, what was the, What's the lodge building now was already on the property, right? Like what was, no? Well, um, there, there was a structure. It was okay. a barn. Okay. Yep. And then the store was just a shack and that was in the house. I live here. So um, there's a log cabin on the house, on the property too. But the barn was renovated to the lodge that it is today. And cool. the store was renovated. Yeah. The trails were put in afterwards. The campground was put in. 
the bathhouse, the sauna. Every year I've done something to improve the property. Do you have so, any, other, any other plans for additional structures? I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I think this year I'm taking a break okay. from projects. Um, maybe a little bit more trail, but I, I just think I want to maintain where we are right now. I want to do more shuttles for people, I think. Um, we have just opened up three new shuttles that are we're scheduling to BAMP. And, you know, I've always done custom shuttles for people, but you needed a big group to order to pay for it. And I get all these calls all the time from people, you know, like one or two people that want to get to BAMP. There's no way to do it, and it's expensive. It's expensive for me to take you. So what I've done this year is I've organized three dates, and, you know, for like 150 bucks. I don't care if it's one person or seven, we're going to get you up there. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so far some seats have been selling, which is great. And we're going to have a shuttle for tour divide racers too, to take them up before the race. If they're, if they don't want to fly into Calgary and stuff like that. So, or ship their bikes. So, right. yeah. So that's kind of new. Like I think the services, I'm going to focus on more of those this year, mm-hmm. maybe more teaching the bike packing teaching. I, I love that. So, yeah. Cool. Um, what are lessons that you've learned, uh, about like, I guess the business and that you wish you knew when you first started? Um, I don't think I would change anything. Cause I think if I knew what I knew now, I would never have done what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just say it. Um, I, I did not have any knowledge of business. Like I'm a geologist by trade. I worked in the environmental field for years in the mining industry for years. And then, um, I raced mountain bikes for years um, and not a business person, not in hospitality, not managing people. Um, yeah. If I had known any of that, I probably wouldn't have ventured down this path. <laughs> so, I think that ignorance of me not knowing some of that stuff was why this place got built. If that makes sense. Like I built it with my passion and my heart. I didn't have a big plan. I, there's some things that people are like, well, how, why did you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. I just felt right. But it worked, you know? So I really might not have a really good basis of why I want to do something, but I just, deep down inside, I know it's going to work. Yeah. It's not a good plan. (laughs) (laughs) We get a lot of uh, emails from from people that are interested in starting uh, lodging properties along either rail trails or some kind of adventure cycling route. Um, Do you have any tips for these, you know, would-be business owners? I get those calls all the time and, um, from people who want to do something very similar. Um, I don't know. I, I just think that it's gotta be your passion. Like you're not going to get rich off of it. Um, but it affords me an amazing lifestyle here and where I want to live and what I want to do and the people I get to interact with. Like that's where my, my richness or my richness is. Um, yeah, just, just be prepared. You know, like if people are doing it for a different reason, yeah, you're not going to make a million bucks off of it. <laughs> people you'll meet are just, I mean, they're they are friends. Like, all of my guests are friends. Thanks, Cricket, for joining us. And if you guys enjoyed this video, uh, don't forget to like, share, subscribe. If you have any questions specifically for Cricket, leave those in the comments below. I'll give her a nudge so that she can answer them. And uh, thank you again, Cricket, for being on our show. Thanks, Ross. It was good to see you again. So that's it for this episode of PLP Talks. If you enjoyed it, If you discovered it via iTunes, don't forget to give it a rating and review. And again, if you want to support uh, this podcast, then check out the description and the show notes and learn how you can keep this podcast going. Till next time, ride bikes, travel, and do good.